The following audio is from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information about Park Church is available online at parkchurchdenver.org. Okay, we're going to get started. Um, it's about 40 after 6. Um, again, thank you guys very much for being here. Um, we, uh, we, we love doing this class. We do this class every semester, um, if possible. Um, this, is, this is kind of the, the foundation of what Park Church was built on um, for the last eight years, coming from a, a basement of 20 people to a church of 1,000. Um, we've consistently believed that the gospel is um, the answer that, that transforms lives, that brings life uh, to, de- to dead bodies, um, and, uh, and not only has implications um, for a, a moment in time, but for the duration of our entire lives. Um, and that's what this class is geared toward. Um, we want to look at the gospel in all of its facets um, and, and think about what the gospel means on a, on a day-to-day basis in relationships, um, as we struggle with work and with roommates and with uh, leisure and what, what are we going to do with our future. Um, we believe that the gospel sheds light into that question, um, into those questions, and, and brings life where there was none before. A um, couple things. First, I want to introduce myself. Uh, my name is Jeff Rodland. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. I've uh, been at Park for about two and a half years. Um, I have one wife and two sons. My wife has actually just walked in in the back. Um, we have one son who's 17 and a half months old, and we have one son that's yet to be seen. So my wife's expecting, which is really exciting. Um, a couple of just quick details before we get started again. If you guys weren't here last week, um, out this door and down at the end of the hall are restrooms. Um, there's coffee and beverages uh, at the table in the back and snacks on your table. Feel free, um, if it's convenient or necessary, to grab food and drink or use the restroom. We will take a break um, about halfway through. Um, I think that's most of the details. So why don't I pray and, and ask the Spirit to join us tonight to enlighten our hearts, uh, transform us. Father, we love you. Um, we are so grateful um, for you, uh, for your life in us, the gift of Jesus, um, that you have not left us as orphans, as alienated um, people from you, but you have come down to rescue, to redeem, uh, to bring life um, to, to dead and weary people. Um, so we're, we're grateful for that. God, we pray for tonight that you would um, enlighten us, that you would um, demonstrate your goodness to us, that you would conquer uh, sin in us even tonight as we behold your son in all of his glory. Um, God, would you transform our hearts and our lives um, and teach us uh, what that looks like on a daily basis. Um, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey guys, welcome. Um, last week, Neil uh, walked through the, the narrative, the, the grand story of human existence. Um, he walked through the story of creation, fall, redemption, restoration, um, in a pretty quick um, uh, brush of the stroke. And so tonight I want to dig a little bit deeper into a couple of those elements. But before we do that, I, I want a, a couple of ground rules tonight. Um, one, I, I want to interact. I want you guys to interact with me, and I want you to interact with one another. Um, and so to do that, um, just to get us started, I have uh, something on this podium that you will not find anywhere else in this building. Um, you, you probably will not find this many places in Denver. This is a, a, a treasured um, morsel from my 
homeland, the West Coast, um, I have in my possession uh, saltwater taffy, okay? Coveted saltwater taffy that all of you just started, you know, whether it's because it's so hot and you're drooling or because you know what saltwater taffy tastes like, um, you probably want that. So to kick things off and and to continue the theme of story, what we're going to do is we're going to go back uh, into childhood nostalgia and um, we're going to look at at Disney films, Disney and Pixar. So what we're going to do is we're going to play a little game. I'm going to quickly read off a quote from a Disney or Pixar movie and here are the ground rules. First person to shout out the name of the movie wins. It doesn't matter who says it first. The first one I hear and I chuck some saltwater taffy at wins the game. And the second is, if you can name the character in that movie, I will award you the second piece so that you can give that to a friend that you came with or someone that you'd like to meet or talk to at the break. Um, that's the second piece, okay? Does anyone have any questions about the game, game plan? Any rule discrepancies? Okay, these are not deflated. These are full saltwater taffies. So I'm going to start with, uh, with a little softball, okay? And I'm going to try um, some of the, the voices, okay? So um, if you have to laugh, I'm okay with that. I'm all right. So the first is this. Somebody poison the water hole. Toy, who? Somebody be honest. I don't know who said it, but there you go. All right. Okay, the next one is this. Another easy one. Okay, I'm going to even act it out. Do you trust me? Aladdin. Aladdin? Who said it? Who said it? Aladdin and Aladdin? Okay, one for a teammate. It's the the same person has to say who... Yeah, okay, all right. All right, here we go. We're going to get a little bit difficult. Okay. The seaweed is always greener on someone else's lake. Oh, Little Murray, this table is rocking. You're all really slow. And that one, there you go. Okay, how about this one? He's no monster, Gaston. You are. I heard it over here. I heard it over there, and I heard Bell. Awesome. Okay, let's go here. This is actually kind of tough. No matter how your heart is grieving... If you keep on believing, the dream that you wish will come. Cinderella and Cinderella. Okay, good. Someone for your teammate. Okay, so far, this section and over here, step it up. Right. Okay, here we go. Oh, yes, the past can hurt, but you can. The Lion King. That is amazing. Who said it? Rafiki. This table's unreal. You guys spend a lot of time with Disney. That's, uh, that's good. Okay, I don't think anyone's going to get this one, but we'll see. If you can't say something nice, don't say nothing at all. Bambi. Who said it? Who's here-ish? Bambi? Bambi? You guys need some sugar. Okay, a couple more, a couple more. How can I read this? There aren't even pictures. Yes, gosh, you guys. 
Gaston. Unreal. Unreal. This is good. Okay. That's cheating. She reads and... Okay. How about this? They say if you dream something more than once, it's sure to come true. And I've seen him so many times. No. No. A stumper. This is good. Anybody? You just start throwing out names now. No. There's a, there's a hint. If, if, they say if you dream something more than once, it's sure to come true. All right. We'll move on. You guys want to know who it was? Sleeping Beauty. Did you say it? You did? It counts. It counts. Okay, how about this? No. Why? Why do you shut me out? Why do you shut out the world? What are you so afraid of? Who said it? Oh my gosh. I'm gonna don't I'm gonna donate your candy over this direction. That's good. Okay, two more and then we're gonna move on. Okay. The flowers or the flower that blooms in adversity. Goodness. Did you say it again? Who said it? Okay, you're definitely people are getting upset, so that was really good. You just share with the whole table. This is good. Okay. So a new voice from the uh, peanut gallery. All right, last one. The watering hole. What's so great about the watering hole? Lion King. Who said it? Simba did not say it. Nala. That's, this table is this table redeemed. That's good. All right. More water taffy to come. Okay. So, following the, the, the theme from last week about story, um, what I want you guys to do is at your tables, give everyone a chance to participate this time. Um, just kidding. You, you were fabulous. That was great. What I want you guys to do for the next three minutes, I want you guys to, to take the pieces of paper that's on your table and a pen and, and write down the answer to this question, as many answers to this question as you can find. The question is this. What do all Disney movies, and you can throw Pixar in there, what do all Disney movies have in common? There's a lot of answers. I, I have two in mind. So write down as many answers as you can. What do all Disney movies have in common with one another? Okay? Go. Three minutes. Okay, let's bring it back together. You guys got them written down? Okay, here's what we're going to do. You guys, this is, this is gold. This is gold right here. Here's what we're going to do. I have two commonalities in, my, in, in mind um, that all Disney movies, and I'm going to extend it to all good stories, have in mind. Okay? So you can think back to sophomore English. What do all good stories have in common with one another? What we're going to do is I'm going to go around starting here and end in that table over there for no apparent reason whatsoever. I'm going to give you the option to throw out what you think is one of those things. If, if, you, if you get one or two of them, I'm going to give you the rest of this candy. 
So this table right here, what one thing do all good stories have in common? Throw it out. Conflict was the number one on my list. That's really good. Okay, I'm going to give you guys half of this, but we need a second. So I'm going to come to this table right here. What do, what do all good Disney movies' stories have in common? One thing. If not, we're going to go to the next table. Happy ending. Happy ending. That's, that is true. That is true. And it's really close. But I'm not going to give you the answer. Give that one. What about you guys? Hope. Excellent. Also true, but not what I was looking for. What do you guys think? Resolution. Bingo. Okay. I'm sorry I didn't get to the rest of you. You guys probably had it. It's basically happy ending, right? But not truly. Okay. Bingo. Catch. All right. Okay, yes. All, all good stories. All good stories have conflict and resolution. Uh, it's that point in the movie when you move to the edge of your seat, you, you grit your teeth, and you wonder how is X going to get out of Y? How is the, the damsel going to be rescued? How is the beast going to be redeemed and restored? Every good story has conflict and resolution. And, and that's what I want to talk about tonight. In, in, the, in the narrative of human history, there is conflict and there's resolution. And it, it is vastly important for us to understand these two elements of human existence. There, there are two aspects that we have to recognize between interplay of conflict and resolution. The first is this. The resolution must match the conflict. It has to resolve what the conflict actually is. If it doesn't, then it's just a bad movie, right? Picture this. Ariel has minutes left. The sun is going down. She has no voice. She has to get Prince Eric to, to, make, to, to fall in love with her, right? Ursula has pulled him away for this, this grand boat wedding, and Ariel has to find a way to, to, to resolve this conflict, okay? She's swimming out to the boat. She's about to get on, and then, bam, bursting on the scene is Simba. And Simba says, Ariel, don't worry. I'm going I'm to fight Scar. I'm going to take back Pride Rock, and I'll rule the lions again. And we'd, we'd watch the movie, and that's not what we wanted, right? We want... We want Ariel to get her voice back. We want her, Eric to fall in love with her. And, and the resolution didn't match the conflict. There's a second aspect of this that I think is actually even more, more important. The second aspect is this, that the person in conflict must recognize that they need a resolution. And picture this. Picture Sleeping Beauty laying on her bed in a... In a in a death sleep. And Prince Charming enters into her room, kneels down, in an act of love, gives her a kiss, and she awakens from her sleep. Yuck! It's disgusting. You didn't even brush your teeth. And I was having such a great nap. Sleeping Beauty didn't recognize that she needed to be brought out of sleep. Or, or picture this. Um, another Prince Charming comes into uh, the cellar bedroom and, and jams a glass slipper onto a, a, a housemaid 
And the housemaid goes, ouch! That is the most uncomfortable and I will have you the most impractical shoe for a housemaid. And I've got a, I've got a lot of cleaning to do. This cellar is dirty and my stepmom's going to get really mad if I don't finish this. Thanks for the gift, but could you leave now? The, the person in conflict has to recognize they're in need in order to recognize the, the answer that will come in the resolution. That is what I think um, is one of the most important aspects of the gospel is. Uh, before we can know what this good news is, before we can recognize a, a Savior, we have to recognize from what are we being saved. Before we're restored and redeemed, we have to recognize where we are being restored from, being redeemed out of. Um, what I want to do is um, talk a little bit about conflict before we get to the good news. I, I am excited about getting to the resolution, but before we get there, we have to recognize what need we have, what our conflict is. Um, if you guys were uh, at church this week, Brian um, preached out of Genesis 3 and 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 brought us into that narrative, recognizing that in every good story, that there's conflict, there's strife, there's frustration, there's turbulation um, that needs to be resolved. Um, and one of, the, one of the tragedies in history, in human history, is a, a lack of recognition of what that is. Um, so I want to spend, basically up to the break, diving into what is the conflict uh, that human humanity is dealing with? What is the conflict that we've, we've found ourselves in? And then afterwards, after the break, we'll dive into that resolution um, and restoration. And so I want to ask you guys, just blurt it out, what is, in, in, in a word or a sentence, what is the conflict that we face ourselves in human history? The fall, okay. What would be another sin? Absolutely. Sin is, is the conflict. And I you know, in a church, I think it's really easy to just go, yeah, sin's, sin's the problem, Jesus is the answer, got that covered, let's move on. Um, but one of the tragedies, like I said, is not, not understanding fully what sin is and what the consequences of sin are. Um, and if we don't recognize that, then we'll miss the, the gift that the resolution is. Um, Romans 3.23, I'm sure a verse that you may have heard, um, says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That every single human being from the creation of the world until now ha has found themselves in this same conflict. That we have sinned and we have fallen short of the glory of God. If you guys have a, a Bible or grab one at your table, I want you guys to turn with me um, to Genesis 3, where Brian uh, had us yesterday. Brian started in, in verse 8, but I, I want to I look at the seven verses before that. Um, I'm going to read these seven verses, and what I, what I want you to do is I want you to, to, to look for and to articulate out of this passage what a definition of sin might be. Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, 
You shall not eat of any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of, of the fruit in the, of the trees in the garden, but, but God said, You should not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall we touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows when you eat of, the tr- when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So then when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delightful to the eyes and that it would, the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who, were, who was with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig trees together and made themselves loincloths. Then I'm going to pick it up in uh, verse 23. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. At the east of the garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So we'll do kind of the standard raise your hand and answer, but... I want someone, if you're so bold, to articulate what a definition of sin might be. Um, And in doing so, I want you to be able to point to something, look at something in the text to back up your answer. Um, We can have a number of us uh, speak into it. But what would be a definition of sin? Yeah. Separation from God. And where would you see that in the text? 20, okay, great, great. I think that's a, a huge element of sin. Um, what else? How else would you define sin? Yes? Uh, willful rebellion against God. Willful rebellion. Where would you point to in that one? Um, the fact that uh, God commanded uh, or not, for them not to eat when, when they listened to the serpent and chose to eat anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I think those are, are hand in hand. I think I might actually say this is more a definition of sin, and this might be consequence um, of sin. How else might we define sin based on this passage? Anyone else have some nuance to that? Yeah? Shameful. Shameful? Yeah. Okay. And they recognize that they're naked. Okay. Great. Great. What else? How else would you define? Yeah? Mm-hmm. So a removal, a, a hiding from God? Yeah. What else? What might be a definition? Yeah, go ahead. Um, abusing the law that God gives us when we twist and twist what God says to yeah. that they could have either as well as Yeah. Yeah, a, a disobedience, a willful disobedience, twisting God's words. Yeah. How else would you put a definition? If you sin is X, start the sentence that way. Say that again. Deceit. Sin is deceit. Okay. Great. How would how we see that in the serpent or in the woman? Um, I mean, the, yeah, the serpent was like was deceitful and saying what what was sin. Yeah. Great. Lindsay. Oh, it is cheating then. <laughs> Go ahead. Oh yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, that's getting so close because I think I would add verse 5 in there as well. Um, so let me, let me try to synthesize some of these things. Uh, I think, I'm not, I'm not saying anyone was wrong. I think everyone was right. Um, but I think part of, part of what we looked at was some consequences, what the re- result of sin was. Um, but I, I, w- I want us to first really understand what sin is. What is it that has led to those consequences of separation, of, of you know, being banished from the garden, of, of losing our communion with God? What is it that sin is? Um, and I think if you look at the second time the, the serpent speaks to the woman, he says this, he says, you will surely not die. And that, first of all, yes, he deceives, he, he twists God's, God's word. But then he goes on to say this. He says, for God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and here's the phrase, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. I mean, Brian talked about this yesterday briefly, but... Um, Sin is not a behavior that happens in a vacuum. Sin is directional. Sin has a subject and an object. Adam and Eve did not just disobey a random rule that God had placed out in the universe somewhere. What Adam and Eve did was look at at God, the creator of the universe, the one that had breathed life into their very bones, that had set the, the planets in motion, that, that upholds it by the word of his power. They looked at God in that moment and said, I don't need you because I have me. Sin is, is a directional uh, behavior, attitude, disposition toward God. Saying, God, I know that you say you are X, but I don't need you. I can do things on my own. Brian talked about last night or yesterday that that, that, that we, we basically declared our independence from God in the act of sin. We were created finite, dependent beings in need of a God. And we said, no, thank you, God. I can do this on my own. I will have wisdom beyond measure. I don't need you. That's why David, in, in, in Psalm 51, after he's lamenting, over being found out by the prophet Nathan. David has, has slept with his best friend's wife, has sent his best friend to the front, told his best general to, to let, let him be in the front and pull back so that Uriah would die, so that then he could take Bathsheba into his house and cover up this whole mess that he had made. And in Psalm 51, in, in, after, in, in the aftermath of the calamity that his sin was, David says, O oh God... Against you and you only have I sinned. David recognized that at the the very heart of all of our deceit, all of our deception, all of our corruption is a disposition that says, I don't need you, God. And then the consequences that fall out of that come from a, a state of saying, I can be God. I can fix this issue. I can make my world go round. I can find pleasure. I can find wisdom. I can find power. I can find security uh, apart from you. That is the conflict that we 
that we are in. That is the reason for the conflict that we are in. Sin is always a directional um, occurrence. And so we, we've touched on it a little bit, but what, what in this passage, and you can pull other passages um, if you'd like, what, what is the consequence? What, what are the consequences? I'm thinking of one specific. What are the consequences uh, of sin? You can look at this passage and point to some. Um, but what would you say, now that if the, if, the, if the act of sin is a rebellion against the, the, the king of the universe, what are the consequences of that? Say again? Separation, yeah. What else are the consequences of sin? Shame. Yep. What else would you say are consequences of sin? Death, absolutely. Yeah, that is actually the one that I wanted us to, to look at. Um, God declared to, to Adam, I have a way in which I've created this universe. I have life planned for you. I have abundance. I have flourishing. I have, I have great adventure in store for you. And in order for you to live that life out, I have to be your father and you have to be my son. I have to be your Lord and you have to be my loyal subject. You have to know that I am good and you have to act in accord with that. And if you don't, the consequence is death. That is what he said. And so to pair these two, I would say that the consequence of sin is death by separation. The consequence of a rebellion against our God is death by separation. You see it in, in the fact that, that Adam and Eve take on that consequence on their own. They run and hide from God in their shame and embarrassment and guilt. They know that something is not right in the universe, that a conflict has arisen that wasn't there before. But you also see that in God saying, I, I, I am going to be true to my word, true who I am. And I have to cast you out of this garden. Out of, of walking in my presence. It's death by separation. Um, we see this all throughout scripture. That the, the consequences of, of sin, Romans 6.23 says it. The consequences of sin is death. And it's death not just arbitrarily, not that you're... You're just going to drop down dead. Obviously, we're standing in a room breathing right now. But it's death by separation because life is directional. Life is gained because there's a life giver. We breathe because one has breathed life into us. Um, if you want to, you can turn there, but I'm just going to read one verse. Jeremiah recounts, um, recounts this. God is... Uh, is bringing a case against his people through the prophet Jeremiah, and he, he defines for them what they're doing. And he, and he again demonstrates that they have given up life, that they've run from life where it could be found. In Jeremiah 2, verse 13, God says this. He says, For my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that hold no water. 
God is saying to his people, the people that he's called out of slavery, out of Egypt, through the desert, into the promised land, he is saying, I am the fountain of living water. I am where you find life. I am where you find peace and security and comfort and pleasures and, you know, and approval and love. Come to me and have it. It's, it's yours. And he's saying to the people, what you've done instead is you've looked at this fountain of living water, which is clean and crisp and refreshing, and instead you've gone to the desert and you've dug a cistern and you've tried to fill it with water, but it's cracked and it's dry and it holds no water, and therefore there is death as a consequence. Time and time again, we look at this God who is good, who has created all things, who has, who has exercised out of the abundance of his love to create man and woman, to create humanity, to, to experience the fullness of his love, to experience life, and we have turned our back and said, ah, I'll find it somewhere else. I, I, I don't need you. And now that I'm mature enough, now that I've figured things out, I can define things my own way. I can decide what's actually good. I, I can decide what's actually pleasurable, what's actually for my comfort and my security and, and my approval. I'll, I'll find those things elsewhere. And the consequences have been devastating. Absolutely devastating. Uh, I'm sure that you can think back maybe this week, the year past, over your lifetime and mine, and we can see direct implications of an attitude and a disposition toward God that says, I don't need you. And maybe it works out for the first hour or day or week, but soon enough we find ourselves grasping at sand, trying to find substance anywhere where it's not to be found. That is the conflict that we find ourselves in. Uh, it is death by separation. It, it is not merely that we've, we've become dirtied and we need to be kind of cleaned up uh, and washed off just a little bit and then we'll be fine. It's not that we've just simply lost our way and we need someone to, to just tell us which path to take and, and, and that's what we need. Dead men and women don't need uh, to be told where to go because dead men and women do not read maps. Dead men and women don't need to be just cleaned up and, and dusted off because lying in their grave, they will collect dust and disintegrate into it. Dead men and women need life. They need to be, res to be brought from from the place of death where we find ourselves apart from Christ into life. That is the extreme and real reality of the conflict that human beings, humanity finds themselves in after the fall. Um, and it's something we have to grapple with. We have to understand at, from what point, from what station in life do we come face to face with a savior? If we're looking for someone to dust ourselves off, we have not recognized the sinfulness of sin. If we're looking for just, hey, just tell me which way to go and I'll figure it out, then we've not recognized the sinfulness of sin, the reality in which we found ourselves in. And then therefore we will not recognize the resolution when it, when it draws us, when it calls to us, when it 
when it slams itself in front of our face, we'll, we'll say, yuck, you haven't brushed your teeth. I was having such a good nap laying there. I don't need you to come and pick me up out of death and bring me into your castle to live forevermore. I just need a dusting. Just tell me which path. That's the reality that we have to understand if the gospel, if the good news is going to be truly good news. So here's what I want you to do before we take a break. Um, This is going to be really fun. You're going to love this. Um, What I want you to do is... We're going to use this uh, a little bit later. So I want maybe each of you guys to grab a piece of paper and a pen on your, on your table. And I want you guys to list off just a number of, of, of sin, of sins that you or a friend of yours that you know uh, struggles with or deals with or faces. You know, maybe it's not the sin that you deal with, but the, the roommate always does X, okay? So I want you to just list off a number of of sins that take place in your life or your friend's life, okay? Um, and then we'll, we'll come back in just a second before we, before we break. All right, before we take a break, um, I want to do this. I want, I want to just give one more um, argument. Um, and, and I want us to, again, recognize what the, what the reality is um, before we move to the really good news. Um, but I'll, I'll give it to you. I think we, we, Neil talked about it last week, and I'm sure you have heard this before, but the, the good news is the gospel that, that Jesus lived the life we, we could not live, that we, that we were supposed to live. And he died the death that we deserved to, to die. And, and, he, and he was raised again on the third day that we might have newness of life. Um, if death was not the consequence, if that was not the consequence that we were in, the, the, the conflict that we were in was not death, um, then the, the reality of the good news wouldn't make sense. It, it would be Simba jumping onto the scene of, of the mermaid. It would be Snow White and, and Cinderella trying to, trying to make Beauty and the Beast come back to a prince when, when the beast needs Belle. Um, so I, I want you guys to do this. If you guys have a Bible, would you guys turn to Ephesians 2? Um, and just for the sake of my voice, if there's anyone who would be bold enough, if you have one of those Bibles in front of you, um, would be willing to read uh, Ephesians 2, and we'll just read verses 1 through uh, 9. Uh, would someone be willing to boldly in their best you know, Disney character voice? No, just a, just a strong voice. That'd be great. Thank you. And you were dead in the trespasses. Thank you. You hear the echoes of what we've just been talking about. 
Paul says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You weren't just dirtied, you weren't just injured, you were dead. But, but look, at, look at it a little bit lower down. He says, For grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Paul is, is, is echoing back to the reality that we have said, I can do it. Okay, I don't need a gift from God. I can work this life and find fulfillment. Paul is saying, no, you were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, separated from God. What you needed was a Savior. What you needed was life. And dead men and women cannot work life into their being. It is a gift of God. Um, And so we'll talk about what that gospel is and what it means for everyday life when we uh, come back from the break. So take about eight to ten minutes. Again, bathrooms are down the hallway. Um, There's cool air out on the patio, Um, cool drinks on the table, and we'll come back at uh, 7.35, 7.35. Like Neil, I'm really, really happy that it's hard to pull people back. Um, I think Neil mentioned it last week at the beginning and at at every break, but um, we're, we're really, part of this is we have you guys at round tables for a reason. We want... Um, we want you guys to, to get to know, you know, a lot of you guys have talked to are new this three weeks ago, um, Kansas City, California, everywhere, um, new to Denver, new to Park, um, looking for places to, to, to dive into community, to, to, to dive into the gospel and, and look, look with us about how um, the gospel is, is pushed into every aspect and every corner of our life. Um, and we want that to take place in community. Um, and so we... Um, encourage and are excited that it's hard to get you guys to to come back. Um, uh, Neil mentioned it really briefly last week, but um, we strategically place kind of a, a big launch of new gospel communities, um, which are kind of our small groups, our midweek, uh, mid-sized groups that meet all throughout the city. We strategically place the start of uh, a lot of our new groups to start the week after this class ends. Um, we know there's a lot of new people um, that, that traditionally are, attend this class and get to know people. So um, throughout the course of the, the next two weeks after this, um, if you're meeting people and, and, and you want to continue to, to talk over, um, to discuss what the gospel has to say to our everyday life um, and want to do that in community, um, think about joining a gospel community, maybe even together with people that you meet here uh, at this class. Um, I want to I move from... Um, kind of the, the big picture, um, I, I've, I've promised that we would talk about what the gospel has to say to our everyday lives. Um, I think it's really, really sad um, that the, the gospel, the, the, even the term gospel, has been cornered um, too, all too often in the history of the church. It's been limited um, very improperly. The gospel, the term gospel has been used to talk about evangelism, to, to be used to talk about the moment that you're saved, um, and then it's, it's relegated to that point in time and not talked about again. Um, and that's a tragedy beyond measure, um, because the gospel is the power of salvation um, for those who believe. Not the, the power of your moment in time when you're saved, but the power of salvation, 
Um, Paul uses that term in, in three different tenses. He talks about the, the past tense event when you were saved, when you recognized that you had rebelled against the good God. You recognized that the consequences of those sins, that sin was death, uh, and that you put your faith in a good God once again who had sent his son to die on a cross on your behalf, to, to, to take your place to assume the wrath of God that, that was deserved to you and to me, uh, and, in, and in part, by Christ dying for you, he, he gave you the life that was due him. Um, Paul talks about it in that, in that way. Paul talks about being saved as well. He talks about the salvation that we go through as God, through his spirit, makes us to be men and women that image him in the world, that, that resemble him once again, that look like and act like and smell like the fragrance of Christ to this world once again. Paul, or Neil talked last week that the, 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 one of the main functions of God creating man and woman in the garden and, and starting this human race was to fill the earth with image bearers that would, that would give witness to the world that there is a good God who created the world, who loves them, who wants to, 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 to breathe life into humanity. Um, Paul talks about, yes, we've been saved. He uses the term justification, that you are declared right before your Father. But he also talks about being saved, that we are being saved, we are being sanctified, being made more holy, being made more into the image of, of Christ. Um, and then he talks about a future salvation, that, that at the end of time we will culminate in uh, the, the resurrection of the dead, that we will finally be reunited with God. God will make his home among us in a real re reality, um, on, a, on a real earth and a real um, new earth and, and, and that we will be glorified is how Paul, Paul talks about that element of salvation. Um, but far too often the, the, the church, and I have been totally guilty of this in my past, is I've talked about the gospel over here as that time and place back then when you believed. Okay, let's move beyond that. Let's go to step two, or let's go to the 201 class. Um, but the reality is, is that is not true. It's not true for a number of reasons, but existentially, it's not true because we still deal with that same reality, that same conflict. No, we don't deal with it on a, on a level. If you have put your faith in Christ, if you have called him your Lord and Savior, you've recognized that you were dead in your trespasses and you've put faith in God, and he's given you the grace to live once again. No, you're not separated from him, but we still feel, we still recognize the consequences of our sin. And we still walk in sin. We still have, have sin that, that, that tugs at our hearts, that entices us to, to, to come over here and taste this fruit again. And we find ourselves, even though we're believers, even though we're, we're Christians, even though we've been saved, we find ourselves over here you know, pulling fruit off of trees that we've been told, that's not where life is found. Life is found in God. You know, one of the beauties of Disney stories is that they arouse in us emotion. They, they arouse in us desire. We, we recognize that, that we, we, we desire something. Even now that we've been saved, we desire more, right? We, we, we want, like Aladdin, to, to be brought out of out of, you know, the streets to, to, to be somebody, to be a prince from a pauper. 
Like Beauty and the Beast, we, we desire to be, to be transformed from something ugly and kind of scary into something that's, that's beautiful and, and, and redeemable and, and desirable. We could go on and on and on. I, I listed them out. Like Cinderella, we can rise from humble dust and ashes uh, to royalty. Like, like Sleeping Beauty, we can be rescued by someone and, and, and brought into a castle to dwell forever. On and on again, we recognize this, this, this narrative. We see it all throughout our life. And, and we desire that. And yet we find ourselves in the slums. We find ourselves leaving the castle to go back and, and eat the poisoned fruit or hang out among the, you know, the dead tombs that we used to dwell in. And so we have to recognize that the gospel continues to speak. The gospel is still that which we are saved by. In the, in the passage that was just read in Ephesians 2, it says, you have been saved by grace through faith. And it's not a work of your own, it's a gift of God. And the tragedy is that far too often the, the church says, okay, now that happened, now get to work. You've got a lot of work to do, okay? But the reality is we've been justified by grace through faith. And we will be sanctified by grace through faith. The, the, the mode or the means of salvation does not change now that you are in communion with God. The work of a believer is still to, to, to de depend on and rely upon this good God who's now breathed once again life back into our feeble bones. And so I want to talk about what it looks like day to day. Um, I'm sure that if, if I were to pick up a couple of the lists on your table that have a bunch of sin on them, um, those lists would probably consist of you know, different actions or behaviors or even attitudes or reactions that, that are done that God wouldn't approve of, right? Um, which, is, which is right. Those, those are, are good symptoms and good indicators of sin. But as we looked at, um, as we looked at in Genesis 3, if sin is a rebellion against God, if it's saying, I don't need you, I can do it my way, then just eating the fruit was not the depth of the sin that Eve experienced. And so there must be something deeper than just these behaviors, just these actions. Um, this is what I want, I want us to do. I want us to uh, turn to uh, excuse me, Psalm 51, or 115, that's 115. Um, the reality is this, we, we still find ourselves running after, after idols. We find ourselves enticed by desires, and because of those desires, we find ourselves running after things that we think can fulfill those desires. Um, if you look at Psalm 115, 115, the psalmist recognizes this. I'll read the first um, 11 verses. Psalm 115 says this. It says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nation say, Where is their God? Our God is in the heavens, and he does all that he pleases. Okay, that's the ideal state. That's where we would desire to live. 
a recognition that God is in authority. He is on his rightful place, that he wields his, his will for our good, and our good is to recognize his glory and, and to fight for his fame, and in that we find our truest good. But then the, the psalmist turns and, and recognizes a far too um, frequent behavior pattern. It says, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk. They do not, have, they do not make a sound in their throat. And listen to this, those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. O Israel, Trust in the Lord. He is your help and your shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is your help and your shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is your help and your shield. Now the reality is, is the, the, the desire that the, that the serpent teased at in Eve uh, is a real reality in our lives. We have desires. We were, we were made... To, to, to have affections and have those affections um, aimed at something. And, and what happened with, with Eve is the serpent said, I know you have these desires and, and you can fulfill those desires, but you don't need to fulfill them in God. You can fulfill them somewhere else. And this is the fundamental um, conflict that we find in our day-to-day -day lives. We, we have a desire um, to be be wanted. And so we run after certain things where we think they will want us. We have a desire to be approved of, and so we search after areas or things that will, that will approve of us. We want power and authority and control, and so we seek out situations and, and behaviors that will, that will satisfy those, those idols in our hearts. We want satisfaction and pleasure and security and safety, and so we, we run after certain idols. Um, the way we've been created is that w when we worship things, we put value to things, those things have power over us. They, they wield something in us. They, they change our, our behaviors. They change the way we see the world. Um, and what the psalmist is saying is that those who seek after idols that, that are created by man that are made of silver and gold or wood or straw or stubble they are not animate objects. They don't wield the authority or the ability to, to, to bring what we think we want. And he goes further and says that, that those who make idols become like them. Those who have the, the idol of control, they become controlling. And in so doing, they say, I don't need you, God, to control my life. I can control. Uh, I mean, think about, again... I. I mean, for your sake, I'm just throwing out Disney, but for all of your sakes, it's just good illustrations. Okay, think of Jafar in Aladdin. Jafar had a desire. He had an idol. He wanted something so desperately. And so what was his third wish? His third wish was, was genie, I want you to make me the most powerful genie in the universe. So I can control and have power over everything. And so the genie granted his wish. 
and he spirals down to this tiny little jar of a lamp, of a lamp. And the thing that he so desired ended up being his destruction. He gained all the control he ever wanted, but he was bound to this curse that made him be wielded by any person that would walk up, find the lamp, and rub it. The most powerful thing in the world that he desperately desired ended up being his destruction. This is what we deal with day in and day out. We, we put value on things. We worship things. We place an idol and we run after it. That is what, what's behind, beneath the, the, the sin behaviors or attitudes or actions um, that I think are on many of your lists. So what I want you to do is I want you to look at that, those lists and I want you guys to, to work as a table. Um, if you guys have the book or if you want to look at the book on, on uh, page 50, there's a list of different heart idols that we set up. Um, and what we can see is we can see that, hey, Jeff was super impatient with his 17-year-old son and he reacted because he wanted his son to do something. Now, that, that reaction of impatience, yes, was sinful. But beneath that was an idol that was, that was controlling me when I reacted to a 17-month-old and, and acted with, without patience. So the, the, the behavior was impatience and, and a, a strong tone or a sharp tone, but the, but the idol behind that was this, was this desire to control and that controlled me. So what I want you to do is I want you guys at the table to go around and, and name off a few of the, the behaviors or the attitudes or the sins that you wrote down and see if you can trace back, if you can dig deep and find what might be the heart idol behind that. What might be the thing that we so desperately want and therefore we reacted in such a way. Um, take about five minutes and work as a table and, and think through what are some of the heart idols that are behind our behaviors. All right, it looks like the, the lull has come. Um, I want to real quickly turn your attention to these cards. There's two sizes of it. They're pretty much the same card on your table. The bigger one is, is more for like, all right, I want to learn this. I want to walk through it. And then there's a smaller one that is bookmark size. You can throw it in your Bible or throw it in a journal or whatever you guys want to hold on to. And we're going to talk through um, this triangle that we've, we've called the what do we call it, the transformation triangle, the gospel transformation triangle, or chart. Um, what, what happens so often is that we, we do a behavior and we say, okay, that was wrong, I, I reacted poorly, okay? And so we say, I, I'm going to just not do that anymore, right? So next time when that comes around, I'll just not do it. Um, and what happens is we, we do this kind of pseudo-repentance where we say, I'm... Sorry that that happened. I'm sorry I got caught for X, Y, or Z behavior. And I'm just going to not do it again. Um, and then a week later, we find ourselves interacting with our, with our roommates the exact same way and say, why did nothing change? I said I wasn't going to do that. I said I wasn't going to do that. Um, and we, we look back and recognize that all of the, the pronouns in that resolution were first person singular pronouns. I will not do this anymore. And we find ourselves back in Genesis 3. Once again, I can do it. I can handle this thing. I can make 
my situation that's uncomfortable be comfortable. I can, I can get what I want out of life because I, I, I. Um, and so what happens is we have this conflict, this state of sin, and we try to jump right to, I can just, I'll just transform myself, um, which, which doesn't work. It, it never worked and it will not work. Um, and so what God has given us is a gift. Salvation is a gift of God, past, present, and future. And so we have to recognize it as a gift of God. We have to, we have to, we have to dig a little deeper. We have to do a little, a little bit of work. Um, and so what you guys have just done is you've recognized, okay, there's, there's sin. Okay? And then there's desires and idols that are beneath that sin. And, and this is something that, you know, we, we want to become part of our life. That, we, that when, we, when we do something, we recognize we're convicted by the Spirit that, hey, that wasn't godly. That wasn't imaging Christ well. We cannot just simply go, okay, sorry, I'll just do it differently next time. We can actually dig into the gospel and say, how does the gospel transform what I did? How does the gospel speak into it? And how can I be different because of the gospel? So desires and idols that kind of haunt even the day and day out of our lives. Um, and so what must we do? What must we do? If salvation, this justification, this past tense moment in time, was looking at a good God who, who sent His one and only Son to die the death that we deserve to die, and receive by grace, receive by faith His grace, His breath of life back into us, then what must we do in this phase of salvation? Must we say, okay, great, I'm going to figure it out and I'll do that and I'll, I'll change myself? No, we do the same thing. We continue to, 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 to put our faith in Jesus that His way is better, that His security is better, that His approval is better. We recognize the idols that we have placed on the throne of our lives in a, in a moment in time or over a duration of our time, we recognize that there's idols behind these sins that we've placed on a throne that is meant for only one person, the king of the universe. And so what we must do, Paul lays out for us in 2 Corinthians. Um, this has become one of the most life-giving passages uh, in all of scripture for me. Um, but I'm going to read... A, a, just a part of this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Um, Paul is talking to a, a church in Corinth that is struggling. There is ample sin. If you read 1 Corinthians, he, he walks through all of these things that they are doing and he says, have you not believed Christ? Have you not been resurrected with him? Have you not found life in him? Why are you running back to these things? And in 2 Corinthians 2 chapter 3, he, he, he tells us what must we do when we run into sin and then recognize that there's desires and idols that we've placed in our lives. And this is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2. I'll start in verse 18. He says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And then he continues in chapter 4, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we renounce graceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word. 
um, but by the open statement of the truth, we would con- commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ our Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Christ's sake. For God, who, has, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone into our hearts and given the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You can hear echoes again of Genesis 3. The, the, the God of this world, the enemy who, who continues to fight against the good reign of God, ha, ha, continues to try to blind the eyes, to twist the words of God, to get people to, to live in this state of being and not be transformed by the gospel, even after we have believed. The, the enemy doesn't say, okay, bummer, you know, God got that one, I'll move on to the next. He is ferociously coming after you. He wants to blind you. He does not want you to see the glory of God. He does not want you to see the face of Christ. He does not want you to see the glorious gospel of Jesus. He wants to keep you living in this world back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And so we, we, we must dive deep and we must do what? He says, we beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. If, if Jafar was transformed and, and taken over by that which he so desired, that which he worshipped, to his destruction, Paul says in the same way, look at, look to, behold Jesus, and in so be transformed from one degree of glory to the next, to be made into the image of Him who is the very Son of God. The, 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 the resolution to the conflict that, we're, that we'll engage with tomorrow as we wake up tired, sweaty if you don't shower tonight, kind of irritated. The, the problems that will face us will continue to face us, but we have a, we have a choice at that moment to, to be compelled by God to say, look at my gospel. Look at my son. Look at the resolution to the conflict that I have given you and see that in him is everything that you wanted in these idols. In him you have approval. In him you have security. In him there are pleasures evermore. In him there's life that you had not before Christ, and you will continue to not have if you continue to live in this ping-pong of a life. We must look to Jesus and in His gospel to see where the resolution is. Um, I, I want us to do one last thing before we close. We're running out of time, but I want you guys to, com- to complete this, this triangle. You've already done steps kind of one and two on your piece of paper. You've already listed a bunch of sin behaviors and now we've just looked at what are the, what are the desires, what are the, the idols that, that undergird those, that, that control us to make us act that way. And now I want you to do is I want you to, as a table, look at a handful of them. Pick two or three that are really evident and say, why is Jesus better? 
How is the fulfillment that he offers better than the idol that, that offers nothing at all, that leads to destruction? How is the gospel of Jesus answering the questions that we're asking, resolving the conflict that we find ourselves in? Um, so take like two or three minutes and, and do just that. Talk as a table about how it is that we can look at Jesus as the, the fulfillment of those things that we so desperately want. Go ahead and get started. All right, let's bring it back. Um, I want, because this is such an important exercise, I mean, it's this, this reality that we walk through, um, I want it to become like breathing, that we, when we find ourselves rebelling against a good God, we recognize there's an idol behind this. There's something that I've given value to, that I'm seeking after, that, I, that I'm not finding um, fulfillment in, in the good God that is, that is promised to give me life. And then we recognize that idol and then, and then quickly say, Jesus is better because he has given me what I am searching after in other things. Um, I, w- I want to give maybe, maybe two or three tables um, the opportunity just to, to, to walk us through that. What was something that you recognized the behavior, that the heart idol desire behind that was X, and, and how is Jesus better than that? How does Jesus fulfill in a better way that thing that we're searching out for? Um, would anybody be willing to share and show that? Mutterings in the back table there. At our table, uh, yeah. a lot of us kind of discussed how we want uh, approval and respect. Yeah. Um, that comes in the for us. We also just talked about how Jesus is better than that because he was the one that gives us our identity. He's the one that yeah. really matters and that he's above everything. Yeah. His opinion of us matters a whole lot more than the opinions of others. Yeah, that's awesome. Exactly. What else is it? I could call it a table. That would be weird. You guys have great ideas you were writing down and thinking and talking about. Um, Edify the body. Yeah, what better person to, to lay our life in his palms than the one who's created and sustains and um, yeah has power over all. And, and then in contrast, look at what we have found ourselves in when we take control. Um, that's kind of an easy one. One last one, if, if you're so bold. Yeah, what's the, what's the behavior? What's, what's this part too? What's the behavior that manifests itself and then what's the idol in the Jesus? Yeah. Yeah. You just look at these, all these sites striving 
Yeah, I mean, that, that's a great example because it's, it's everyday life. I mean, we, I find myself in that all the time. You know, here at work, comparing myself to other pastors or other people who teach or like, oh, Neil taught last week. You know, he's really good, so now I've got to, like, do better. And, oh, man, you know, they got to like me too or, like, you know. And I just get crippled by that, you know. I absolutely get crippled by this desire to be approved of by, I mean, I, I know one of you really well. I met two or three before. I think you all have probably good opinions, and I'd like that. But the reality is, is, is I have a God who looks down on me. He looks down on me and he says, I love you. I approve of you in Christ. And in fact, I adopt you as my own son. And my desire for you is, is to live with you for, for eternity, to dwell with you, and to, to walk with you, and to regain relationship with you. I approve of you because of what Christ has done on your behalf. Therefore, you don't have to be wielded by you know, fear and anxiety and, and the fear of man that, that we so easily walk around with. That's why so often in Scripture, the writers call us to, to fear God, not man. Fear God, meaning fear Him. He is all-powerful. Fear Him. He, he, he will bring death to those who continue and, and ultimately re- you know, live in a place that is a refusal to acknowledge Him as Lord. Fear Him in that way, but also recognize that He is a good Father who loves you, who has redeemed you, has, has gone to the farthest lengths to bring restoration to the conflict that we talked about earlier, the sinfulness of sin, the reality that we were dead by separation. God said, they cannot come to me, I must go to them, and I will. And I will continue to do that in the person of Christ. Um, we're just going to wrap up, but I, I think it's unfair when pastors read one verse um, without the context. And so I want to read um, the rest of that paragraph um, where Romans 3.23 is found, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Um, because in it, Paul talks clearly that, that there is resolution to this conflict. Um, I'll pick up Romans 3.21 um, through 26. He says, but now, Paul, Paul has just walked through Romans 1.18 through 3.20, laying out in very clear and explicit imagery the conflict that we live in. If you, if you want to read that later, just, just think, what conflict is Paul laying out? And you will see it in, that, in those three chapters. But then he comes to, to verse 21, which is a, a, a hinge point. It's where the resolution comes to this building conflict. He says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifest, manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear, bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. 
For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has, who God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. God has given us a gift. He is just in saying the penalty of sin is death. But he also steps over and in the person of Jesus he says, I will also be the justifier and receive the due penalty. That word propitiation is, is a word that says Jesus took on the wrath. He appeased the wrath of God that was due us. God was not only the one saying, you're in, a, you're in conflict, you're in a serious situation where you are dead. But he also said, now I have the resolution as well. In the person of Jesus, I, I offer you life. And day after day after day, in the person of Jesus, I offer you life. Um, the, the work of the believer in John 6, 29 as disciples come to Jesus and they say what are the works that we must do with an S at the end of works you know what are the things that I, I, I must me do and Jesus replies very very simply which is what we're trying to get at in, in this chart he says the work the singular work of the believer is to believe in the one whom he has sent. Friends, the, the work that we have to do day in and day out is apply the gospel to our lives, is to look and behold the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ who lived the life we could not live, who died the death that we deserve to die and then rose from the dead that we might walk with him in newness of life and apply that to those sins, those desires, those idols each and every day. To do that in community, to, to say, I had this behavior, what was the idol? Help me, help, me, help me recognize why Jesus is better, why his gospel fulfills. Um, and it's not something we can do, again, on our own. It is a gift of God. Uh, in that 2 Corinthians passage, it said, this is from the Spirit, from the Lord who is the Spirit. This transforming work is from the Spirit. So do this in community, do this often, but plead, plead to God that he would give you a spirit, his spirit, that would, that would call out the things that are idols in your lives, but would also shine the light of the glorious gospel of God into your hearts so that you might see the better way, that Jesus is the fulfillment. Jesus is the good fulfillment. Let me pray. Father, we do love you. We are so, so grateful that you did not leave us uh, in the state of sin that we found ourselves in, that you did not leave us dead in our trespasses and sins, but you sent a resolution to that conflict. That in the person of Jesus, you have redeemed us, you have called us your sons and daughters, that you have placed royal robes on us and, and ushered us into the castle to dwell with you forever. And God, we thank you that that does not start in some 
far-off future time when all of the, the hard things of this world go away, but that starts here and now as we behold Jesus and are even now transformed from one degree of glory to the next into the image of your Son. And so, Father, help us. We cannot do this on our own. Help us to see you. Help us to turn to you. Help us to recognize quickly our sin and to run after you, the fountain of living water, the fountain of life, because you promise it. We thank you for tonight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, feel free to take these cards or those um, bookmarks. Um, James is here. If you guys weren't here last week or you wanted to buy one of those gospel-centered books, um, James has a, a card that you can swipe if you want to pay for it with a debit or credit card. It's $5. It's a really good reminder. They're short, quick chapters and exercises to kind of walk through this stuff. Um, next week we'll talk about the gospel and relationships, how this flushes itself out in community. So thank you again for coming, and uh, we'll see you next week.